Welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about our show, please go to Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Good. Kim, we talked a lot this year about the 2017 harvest being horrible weather issues. And lately, the 2018 is starting off horrible in France and Portugal. Have you seen the latest news? Right. This is the time of year where we really have to start paying attention to what's going on with the weather in our favorite wine growing regions across the world. Winter is really a downtime when it comes to the life cycle of a vine. So there's really not much that can go on in the winter that can damage wine grape vines except for extreme, extreme cold. But in springtime, that's when we really have to start paying attention to what's going on with the weather. So this was April hailstorms that hit Champagne and Bordeaux. We'll start with France first. They're estimating about 8 million bottles will be lost in production due to this. In Bordeaux alone, over 40% was lost, so about 17,000 acres of damage. In Champagne, they're saying about 3% of the crop of 4,000 acres was damaged. And Kim, it was interesting. This week, I had a salesperson come in, and the first thing he did was show me a picture from France of the fires in the vineyard that they light mm-hmm. and showing the frost on the buds. So yeah. right now, the, the buds are starting to form the fruit, and it's the worst time for these things to happen. So they're really saying right now, get ready to get product because the vintage will be horrible for production. Right. The things that winemakers dread the most in the springtime is, like you said, frost at the moment when those flowers on the vines are at their most delicate stage and also hail. I mean, that stuff can just destroy a vine. It was big size hail that hit these this region. So also Portugal, you and I are always talking to our listeners about the value of Portuguese wines, but they were just hit by this huge frost and they're saying up to 80% of their production could be lost. So I would think that value Portuguese wine or even the port production this 2008 vintage will be horrible. Yeah, it's going to be really tough for the Portuguese wine market because they're coming off of another bad year. So 2017, they had very similar issues with wildfires like California had. So California, Spain, Portugal had a really tough 2017 because of fires. And now following up on the fires with these problems for their springtime, yeah, going to be a couple of really tough years. So I'm sure you'll hear us hitting more on this stories as we go along this year. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. Hey, Mark, I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what's your favorite wine? I get this a lot from you. <laughs> I you know. know. It's like a trick question, but... Last time I think you asked me, we were talking about climate and you were kind of hinting on the region. So now I'm going to say I go with something that's crisp and refreshing. That's what's my favorite lately. All the time or just right now? Right now. And why? It's based on seasonal. It's hot. I'm drinking something refreshing and light. Mm -hmm. I have to agree with you on this one. I, uh, I also try to drink a little seasonally. And it's very interesting, I think, when people ask us that question, what's your favorite wine? Because we do get it a lot. There's no 
I, I don't think that there's any like answer that we give on a consistent basis, right? Like it's about context. It's about where you're at. It's about what's the weather like? What are you eating? Who are you with? What are you doing? So it's it's a little more of a complicated question. And it's sort of interesting to always throw out a different answer because people don't really know what to expect. Yeah. And I believe maybe I told you this story a long time ago, but maybe not the listeners. When I attended my first educational event for wine, the professional doing the class gave everybody a wine and there was probably a hundred people in the room and he said how many people like this wine and half the people raised their hand then he asked how many people absolutely hate this wine half the people raised their hand he said let me tell you something you don't hate any wine right it's just not your style so when people ask me what's my favorite I tend to not pick anything because I want to sell everything Does that make sense? <laughs> sure and I want people to know about everything so I, I, if I say I like Chardonnay you don't I, it's kind of an insult yeah I feel so I mean do you get that a lot with people and you hesitate I do what to say I and I sometimes I do tell people what I don't like to drink because there are some things out there that are not my go-to or if given the choice between drinking this wine that is not my favorite and say a beer or a cocktail I'm gonna go with the beer and the cocktail but I always want to make sure that people know that I'm not going into that comment thinking this is a bad wine or I'm gonna look down on you because you like this style of wine and I don't like this style of wine it's so very much depending on your own personal preference and what you like and what you are looking for that wine to do for you. There are some things that have high scores and lots of people who really enjoy them and they're just not my style. So sometimes it's hard to tell people what you don't like and what their interpretation of that response is going to be. Yeah, because we'll we'll taste everything. I mean, Absolutely. even if you don't like, if you say, I don't like that style, but you'll try and you'll keep trying to find. And that's what I think we're always talking to people about is keep trying because there's probably one that you will like that it might be a varietal that you say you don't but there'll be a producer that you do like and i know that we talk about this every once in a while but one of the things that we have to train ourselves to do as wine professionals and as people who are trying to talk to and in your case sell wine to a broad variety of people is we need to search out those quality wines even in the styles that we don't like so i still can say okay i understand and i realize that this is a really good example of this wine i'm not going to drink it because i just don't happen to like it, but I can appreciate that this is a really well-made wine. And then I can say, pass that information along to you if I know that you do like that style. So that's something that's important to us to know how to do as well. So let's relate this to an article that we saw about your favorite wine depends on the season. Do you agree, Kim, that people are basing their favorites on a season? I don't think it's just season. I think it more has to do with the broader context and where does the wine fit into what you're doing. So I think that season is a part of that. Wine that's going to taste really good at, at the dining room table with you know, a nice meal of whatever it is that you enjoy eating might taste very different, say, poolside or on a picnic or with a whole different menu. So I think that, yes, seasonality does come into play. A lot of people don't drink big, heavy reds in the summertime. But if that's your bag and you really like big, heavy reds and you want to drink them in July, go ahead. Like there's nothing saying that that's a wrong thing for you to be drinking. And on the flip side, I drink rosé in the wintertime. I drink bubbles all year long. I drink Sauvignon Blanc all year long. So yes, I feel like there is a seasonality to what is your favorite wine. And it does change for people, I do find. But I don't think that's the whole picture. No, I think that's a good point because based on foods like barbecue in, in summertime, mm -hmm. you can have a heavy red to go with the barbecue. Sure you wouldn't have a crisp white usually. But if you're not having food you on a hot day, you're, you're looking at a crisp white. So definitely a good point about the food not mattering season-wise. Right. So the other thing I was thinking on this was when you walk into 
to a store, do the retail displays, are they based on season, do you feel? Sometimes, especially during the holidays. So you're seeing more stacks of rosé or more whites in the Right. So you'll months. see those big rosé displays in the summertime. You're going to see party wines and sparkling wines as you're closer to the holidays and New Year's Eve. And that's just smart thinking and marketing on the side of the people who are trying to get their wines out there in the market and have you, the consumer, buy them. So they know that you're looking for bubbly at New Year's Eve. So of course, there's going to be a big stack of that. So the season at some times will depend on on what the marketing is pushing mm -hmm. to the consumer, right? I think so, so. sure. Like this time of year in the hot months, I'll promote both. I'll say crisps, summer whites, or barbecue reds. Yeah, I was going to ask if you both. do like a barbecue wanna, wine. Yeah, I don't want to lose the person who just likes whites and the person, so I'll, I'll hit them all. Sure, but it makes sense to always, I think, change it up too because you keep it interesting for your customers and you introduce them to new things without you necessarily having to put the bottle in their hand. You have a display of something and it catches somebody's eye. And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll try that. Welcome back. Next, we're going to talk about an article that was in the Herald Bulletin from Indiana. And the gentleman's name was Howard Hewitt. And it was how to approach upgrading your wine palette. And I thought there was a lot of information here about money value of showing the value of a wine and, and basically saying if you're drinking a $10 bottle to upgrade, go to a $20 bottle. And I kind of had an issue with that, Kim. I don't know what your take was of it. I didn't have too bad of an issue with it. I appreciated that he said that in order to drink better, you don't need to go from a $15 bottle to a $100 bottle and you should walk away quickly if someone is trying to, to force that decision onto you. But you're right that he did spend a lot of time on money. What was your specific issue with using the bumping yourself up a few a few dollars? Well, he was basically saying double and ba basing it on spending more is a way to get your palate better is my interpretation of it. But then he mentioned going to a retailer to help you develop your palate. So if you in turn go to a retailer who knows what you drink and you're in the $10 price point, they should be able to give you something they feel is better quality for you to try at the same price point without bumping you up up right away. But just from either a different region or a different grape variety or Correct. something along Correct. those lines. Correct. Or okay. or you could just find out that if it's a say you're drinking Rodney Strong and you're drinking their normal entry level, maybe bump you up one level that might not be double the price, but it is a little bit more money. Right. I think that was what he was trying to get across here. That there is, I think that there are a number of different ways that you can approach how do I learn to drink better or how do I learn a different improving my palate by introducing myself to better quality wines. And like you said, I think this is just one way of approaching that. The other way that we talked about where you have a trusted retailer who you go to and knows what you like and then can suggest different things, but maybe in a, in a similar flavor profiles or similar weights of a wine is one way. This way is more the way that I was thinking about it is sort of refining the style that you're already drinking. So like you said, m moving up into a, a better, a slightly higher price range and a better quality from the same producer. And I think that this was why he talked a little bit about oak and that real oak does cost money when wine is made in it. So if you are 
back to that Rodney Strong example, if you are regularly drinking their entry level and you want to bump up to the next level, which might be $15 more, chances are the difference might be grapes from a more select region and a little bit more of that real oak aging. So I think you did interpret like I did. It, it is about learning and finding ways to learn more about the wine to increase your knowledge of getting more information out of what you're spending. Right. And one of the things they did hit on here was going online to check out your wine. And we talk about this all the time about Googling and checking information about your wine so you get the most to see that you want to spend $10 more, what you're spending for. Like you said, oak, is it uh, hand-picked versus mechanically picked, that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And they did mention a few times here about looking at higher-end things as a smaller batch where they were considering it more better quality if you were hand-harvesting a grape versus machine-harvesting. That would be more care, so that's why you'd spend more money. I think what needs to be addressed here, too, is what's your definition of quality? What if you have two glasses of wine in front of you and you don't know anything about them? You don't know how much they cost. You don't know if they're mechanically harvested versus hand-picked. You don't know if that wine was a million cases or 3,000 cases. And you taste those two wines side by side without knowing any of that information. Does it? Does that information matter to you? You going to pick the wine as higher quality that tastes better? Or is there some other factor at play? So I thought this was interesting that he brings up this topic of quality is determined by the real oak that's used, or is it made in small batches? Is there more attention to detail? Those kind of things. And it's very interesting when other things come into play to determine quality instead of just how does it taste in the glass. And you may be disappointed if you drink a a non-oaked version of the wine, you spend more for the oak version, it might not be your style. So you're thinking, well, it isn't worth spending more money, but it's just not your style. But you have to spend the money to kind of find out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You do sometimes need to experience what those other things have to offer. And I think this comes down to like older wines too. If you're going to put in the time and the effort to age a bottle of wine and then you open it and you taste it or drink it when it's older and you find that you don't like what it tastes like when it's older, yes, that could be disappointing. But now you know that, oh, you know, maybe I just don't like aged wines. I'm going to go back to the ones that are only two years outside of vintage and be perfectly happy drinking those. And you've learned something about yourself. So maybe in the future as your palate continues to develop you may want to try those older wines again but I think like a lot of things sometimes you have to make mistakes in order to learn yeah and this is what we talk about a lot is just trying different things there's so much out there in the wine world Mm -hmm. that this is one approach of how you can look at I don't want to say upgrading and like you said it's not a quality thing if if it's not your style but I like the advice of going out of your comfort zone and the advice they gave. Yeah, and that can be scary for people. Sometimes you don't want to just randomly pick something off of the shelf if you're not fairly confident that you're gonna like the style. And there's a lot of wine labels out there that are not very easy to interpret. So sometimes it takes a leap of faith to just be like, all right, I'm just gonna try something new and we'll, you'll see if you like it. And it, I think that's a little bit easier for some people to do in that 10 to $15 price point. And it's a lot scarier if you're spending a whole lot more money. So that's where... I think sticking to maybe some of this advice is good. And one of the ones that I I did like that he mentioned was sort of refining what you're drinking within the region that the wine is from. So he talked about, okay, if you're ordinarily drinking Cabernets from Napa, then drink something from maybe a single vineyard within Napa or a more specific AVA within Napa. Do the same thing for Bordeaux. If you like regular Bordeaux, try something from Margot or try something from Saint-Emilion. Try to refine, and I don't mean like refine in taste, but 
that refining area what you're looking to, tr- to drink. Yeah, that's good advice because in the past we talk about the differences, how an area affects the, the varietal. So if you normally drink a California Cabernet and then you're switching over to, say, a Australian or something, it's a totally different profile. So it wouldn't be the direction you'd want to go. Right. And this is where you can find lots and lots of wine maps online. I mean, we have them hanging all over the place. But this is where wine maps can come in really handy because if you know a general area that you like, you can pull up a map of that and then you can see some of the subregions and be like, okay, that looks, you know, that's a name that I can recognize. That's a name that I can recognize and go out and try to find some wines from those places. You've been listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. If you want to find out more information about Mark, you can go to his website, franklinliquors.com. And if you want to know more information about me, you can go to my website, vinitaswineworks.com. We stumbled across a fascinating science article from a website called Eureka Alert that gave information uh, from the proceedings from a recent meeting of the American Chemical Society that talks about all the stuff that you can do with the leftovers from wine production. And I thought this was really cool. It was interesting. And that was a lot you said there, Kim. I was <laughs> listening to this probably saying, what the heck is Kim just saying? <laughs> like, what does right? this have to do with wine? Well, basically, <laughs> grape waste. So when they're making wine, there's a lot of leftovers, waste, the skins, the seeds, uh, et cetera, which they call the pumice, right? The waste. Right. And the Italians have a very clever way of using these leftovers. They add water to it and they create a little bit more of a juice and then they ferment and distill that and that's how we get grappa for those of you who are spirits drinkers but you don't often hear about what happens to the other stuff you know there's all these byproducts that happen when you are producing a food product or a lot of waste from farms and things like that i always just sort of assumed that they would i don't know feed it to animals or pigs or something but it turns out that a lot of it goes into landfills and there seems to be this movement now with trying to figure out all right what how can we be more environmentally conscious and do something with all this leftover stuff. And they were talking 14 tons of pumice or 14 million tons of pumice produced per year in winemaking in America. So that's an awful lot. Yeah. Can you imagine, just think about all the wine that is produced every year and what the waste is. And I was shocked to hear that it was saying a lot of times it's contaminated waste, not thinking that, yeah, there are things on the grapes that are bad for the environment. So they were saying the waste might have fertilizers or pesticides or something that is getting into landfills and water supplies. But then you're like, oh, but this is juice that I'm drinking yeah. too. So, so that was that. sort so, of a yeah. little like, wow, they don't want to put this stuff into landfills because it'll leach chemicals into the environment and pesticides and fertilizers and things. And be like, yeah, but this is a but food product it. that we're yeah. actually consuming. So maybe that would give us a little bit of pause and think maybe we should be drinking more organic wine. And then they were saying the waste also attracts more pests, flies and animals that are eating That makes the sense. Waste. So sure. I understood that, but maybe it's killing them from all the chemicals. Yeah, right? maybe. Or you want to put the stuff in your compost pile. Um, but anyway, some of the interesting things that might be in the near future to use grape waste into making has a lot to do with the fact that all of this stuff is really rich in antioxidants. So when we talk about wine having health benefits, these are the things that we're talking about. And a lot of it comes from those grape skins and comes from those grape seeds. So once the juice has been removed from all this solid material, there's still a lot of those really beneficial chemical compounds that are that are left in this stuff. And we're trying to figure out ways to use them. So they were talking, like you said, Kim, 
There was food ways to use them, and there was health ways. So let's first talk about the food additives they were talking about here. I, I was trying to follow it. The scientists extract just the nutrients out of this waste, and then they use it as a preservative for right. foods. Is that correct? Right, because these these phenolic compounds are natural antioxidants, which is why red wines are so much better able to last a good long time in the bottle. It's because the, the pigments, the actual color compounds, from the skin of the grape act as a natural antioxidant. So they bind with oxygen and they pull it out of whatever the food or drink that you have in front of you. And it it allows them to have a longer shelf life. So they're talking about using these components and adding them to food products to substitute for artificial preservatives so that they would be a more natural product in food, which a lot of consumers are looking for these days. So if you can say that the preservatives that you're using are derived from grapes and that they're a more natural source, I can definitely see that as being something that can be used for marketing material that would make people really want to buy the product more. Extracting some things from this waste, but there still has to be a lot of waste. I'm, I'm interpreting. Yeah, that. I would, like I would think so all. too. They're not using at all. But I, I did think that it was interesting that I mean, so much of the weight of this is grape seeds and the grape seeds can be put to good use too. So you can separate out the seeds and press it and make grape seed oil and that is also very healthy and can be used in a number of different ways as well. Now in the past, when we're talking about the health, I've seen many things online where it says wine baths using actual wine. And I have seen scrubs and things like that mm-hmm. where they take the pumice and they're rubbing it on your skin so it's good for your skin. So have you seen other health things made, cosmetics or anything like that? I've Kim? seen some of those scrubs, but I also think that the oils that you can derive from either the skins or the seeds can also be used in, in cosmetics and things like that, in, in addition to other things like shea butter and coconut and things like that. I wonder if you just took the pumice and you put it in water. So it'd be like a like an oatmeal bath almost. Mm. If it's better than just going in straight wine, isn't it better? What color are you going to come out though? Would you be pink? Yeah, same like an oatmeal bath or something like that. It's pretty Maybe. disgusting texture, but you're getting the better. You're getting the seeds and the stems. You're getting the better pots. Yeah. Instead of the finished product, <laughs> you know, we should stop. That's that. so funny to think about. Have you also heard when we were talking earlier about putting it back into the the landfills? I had thought I had saw where winemakers take that pumice and they put it back into the vineyard into the soil to use as fertilizer have you seen that or heard of that i had seen a little bit of that yeah and i think if you sort of compost the material then it's useful that way and then also using the old vines or the old canes from the the previous year and burning them and then you can also put that stuff back into your soil if that if that is what your vineyard needs as well and i think there was also an article recently where they're somehow taking it and producing fuel or something from it, mm. from the waste. So, I mean, there's a lot of things out there scientists are, are doing with this uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think it's great that so much scientific research is going into how do we use the things that we already have instead of creating new things out of petroleum and uh, just growing things in order to use them as fuel. Why don't we just use the waste products that we already have?
Welcome back. Next, we're going to talk about a health issue that was brought up with WineSpectator.com. What does wine do to your teeth? And Kim, I've seen this many times where they're saying the red stains and the white acid is bad. I'm confused a lot of times on some of the stuff that was here, and I'll bring that up after we get going. But what was your take on red wine staining your teeth? It does stain your teeth. <laughs> That's something that we just know from our daily dealings with wine and wine tasting that yeah sometimes you can leave a tasting and your teeth are purple and kind of what do you do about that one thing that i thought was interesting about this article is it really was two articles in one one was how does wine affect your teeth is it damaging to your teeth what can you do to make sure that you still have healthy teeth even if you're a wine drinker and then the other part of it was hey drinking wine could actually be good for your oral health so kind of lots of information that we're that we're given here so the really the main thing with the color of the wine is that yes, red wine stains your teeth, but that acid is more of the problem. And what happens is that because wine is a, a beverage that is naturally high in acid, especially white wines, is that it can erode the enamel, which is that outer layer of your tooth. And the staining they related due to the pigments is also found in coffee and tea. So you can relate this issue to, to people drink a lot of coffee or tea, they mm -hmm. stain their teeth the same way. And it's not just your teeth too, Kim. We always know when you're at a taste and your lips are all purple, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it affects both your lips and your teeth. In the past, I've seen these devices where they're like teeth wipes. Have yeah. you seen those? Then they sell them specifically for wine drinkers to wipe your teeth after. I have a box of them, but you I do. haven't used them yet. No, I got them as a present, but I haven't had the chance to use them yet. So they, they live in my purse. So <laughs> we'll see the next time I have really purple teeth. And they didn't mention that type of product, but they did say how to help your teeth is maybe before your tasting, they said, brush your teeth. I now. thought this was fascinating. I had not heard this before, but this makes a whole lot of sense to me. So they say brush your teeth before you drink because plaque is sticky. And if you have plaque on your teeth, which just develops, and that's why we brush our teeth to get rid of the plaque, those pigments and the tannins and the red wine are more likely to stick to your teeth because they'll be sticking to the plaque. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's cool. But what's the one thing we're told when you're tasting not to do before you taste, to brush ruin your, your palate, right? <laughs> well, Don't this is saying like teeth. a half an hour. So if you brush your teeth a half an hour before you taste wine, that toothpaste taste is going to be gone. Well, it depends what, what toothpaste you're using. Uh, yeah, but it will, if you do this like right before you're tasting yeah, it will ruin right. yeah. ruin your your palate for yeah. tasting the wine but then they also on the flip side of that go into say don't brush your teeth immediately after tasting because you don't want to expose your teeth to all those acids that are still remaining in your mouth so drink water swish water around give your mouth environment a little bit of time to deal with all that stuff from the wine that you have in your mouth whether it's the pigments or the acids or the tannins drink some water clear out your mouth mouth and then you can brush your teeth at a later time. I like the swish and water thing and, mm -hmm. and I had instructors that have told me never drink water in between and <laughs> for the same reason as not, not to brush your teeth but this whole thing about another health issue with wine it's always something good and something bad. So like right. you said it's two positive articles. Here's, here's how it ruins your teeth but then again oh on the other side it's good for your teeth and it's good for your mouth. So what did you think about what they said or why it's good for your oral hygiene to so, drink wine? So 
it's more about creating like a healthy environment in your mouth. And a lot of it was the antioxidant properties of the wines can kind of keep down the bacterial load in your mouth and can do a lot of good things as far as keeping things in balance. So you were talking earlier about brushing your teeth to get the plaque from not sticking to your teeth, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also saying it prevents the plaque from building up in your teeth when you drink the red wine. Right. And it also prevents gum disease and tooth loss. So there's some very good benefits and it all comes back, I think, to the resveratrol that's in the, the grapes. Right. Exactly. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. Please visit us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Leave us your questions and comments, and we'll speak to you again next week. Cheers. Wine, wine, wine.